All right. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Westwood, everyone. To those here and those joining us at all of our campuses, our online West Tonka and Bush Lake campuses, it's so good to be together. My name is Zach, and I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at Westwood. And it is my honor to continue us along in our sermon series called Up. It's the Psalms of Ascent. And these are really the psalms that the pilgrims would, would sing and that they would uh, say together as they were going up to Jerusalem for the religious festivals. It's really a playlist for our life. And over the last several weeks, we've looked at topics such as navigating uh, insecurity and anchoring joy and what it means to have purpose in our sacred work. And so I want to invite you to to make it a priority to join us next Sunday as well, because there's going to be a speaker with us. I don't know, you may have heard about him. His name is Pastor Joel K. Johnson. All right, he's going to continue us along in Psalm 129 by talking about choosing stick-to-itiveness, so that kind of grit and determination and perseverance that we can uh, experience in our life. But today we are picking up in Psalm 128 as God steps in to bring happiness into our lives, and that's the topic that we'll be looking at today. As we think about happiness, I'm reminded of just a video that I saw once of a guy who was going through Central Park there in New York City, and he was basically going up to random strangers and asking them questions. And after about a dozen or so questions, he he would get to this one question. He'd say, can money buy happiness? Okay. Now, if I was to step off the platform with a microphone, don't worry, I'm not going to do it for those of you in the front few rows here. But if I was to do that, if someone asked you that question, can money buy happiness, how would you respond to it? And in that video, right, there were a variety of answers that people had to that question. And it got me thinking of an interaction that I uh, experienced between a couple friends a few years ago. One friend said, you know what, money cannot buy happiness. And then the friend kind of thought pensively and then responded and said, sure, but money can buy a jet ski. Have you ever seen a sad person on a jet ski? (laughs) And I think it's just hilarious, right? It's this idea that happiness is all around us. We want happiness. It's even in our marketing. Okay, when I was a kid growing up, there was a particular ice cream treat goodness that had a jingle that went along with it that really marketed happiness to it. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you, if you know this jingle, finish it. Now, don't leave me hanging up here. Okay, don't make it awkward for me, all right? I'll say the jingle, you repeat it. Here's how it goes. What would you do for a... Yes. Praise God. All right. That would have been so awkward. Okay. But the marketing, you get it now. The marketing, it has this idea of like, man, what would I do? I would do anything for that little chocolate ice cream piece of goodness that represents happiness in my life. I would do anything and everything for it. And so that's the question that I want to start us off with. And that question is this, what do you and would you do for happiness? All right. What do you currently right now, and would you do futuristically ongoing, what would you do for happiness? You know, as we think about this, I think that we would really do just about anything for a lot of us, because I think happiness in our minds can be purchased or it can be lived into. You know, a lot of us, we think we find happiness within our careers, and it's just kind of this ongoing finding our identity and our fulfillment in the things that we do. Uh, Maybe for others of us, we we find happiness just in the, the toys and the trinkets that we have, but we know full well that those toys and trinkets will just be the the subject of garage sales in five to 10 years. Or or maybe for some, we find happiness in relationships, hoping that another person will fulfill our happiness, longing, and desire. And it's like we have this huge chasm in our lives and our hearts that we are just trying to fill, trying to find happiness. And so today we'll be looking at Psalm 128 
to understand where happiness comes from. And the rhythm that we can live into to have an abiding happiness is this, that we can gain happiness from God and we can give happiness to those around us. We can gain to give happiness. And as we look at Psalm 128, to give you a a quick roadmap here, we're gonna see first of all three things. We're gonna see theological happiness. So how happiness first comes from God to each and every one of us. Second, we'll see relational happiness. How within our friends and family members that we can have happiness with them as well. And then third, geographical happiness. Now you might be thinking, what what does that mean? All right, I'll get there, don't worry. All right, I'll, I'll make sure we have time for it at the end but how we can find happiness right on our doorstep, right around us. So theological, relational, and geographical happiness, Psalm 128. And so as has been our custom over the last several weeks, I just wanna invite us now, let's, wherever we're at, let's stand together. Let's unite our hearts and our voices as we read Psalm 128. You can see the words are here on the screen. Let's read together, it says this. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and will see your children's children. Peace be with Israel. Thanks so much. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Y'all sounded great. Well, happiness is just all over this passage. And to really begin with, we have to define what is happiness exactly. Now, the Hebrew word in this psalm is the the word ashray. And it doesn't just mean sort of temporary happiness, but it, it has this idea of flourishing, of wellness, of wholeness exhibited in our lives. And the thing about ashray, that, that happiness that's seen here, is it, it typically is connected to our relationship with God. It's, it's fixing our eyes and being concerned with the things that he is concerned with. And as we fix our eyes on him, then we live our lives in alignment with his directives and his kingdom ethic in our own lives. And so it's fixing our eyes on heaven, not as much on things of the earth, finding our fulfillment in him rather than things here. And as I began to kind of think about this, I'm reminded of what a pastor, Timothy Keller, he's one of my favorite pastors and and writers, what he said about happiness. Here's what he said. Here are these words. He said, here's the irony about happiness. The less you're concerned about your happiness and the more you're concerned about God, the happier you get. I'll say it one more time. The less you're concerned about your happiness and the more you're concerned about God, the happier you get. He continues along. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in, but aim at earth and you get neither. And so when I think about that, it's a calling for us to to find our happiness, first of all, not in temporary things, but in eternal things, namely heavenly things. And so that's really what we begin with by talking about the theological happiness that comes from God. And so to dive into this, let's look again at verse one uh, to really unpack this. It says this, how happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So how happy, how ashray, how flourishing is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. And so there are really two words that I want to pull out in this passage outside of the word happiness. And those two words are this, those who fear the Lord and those who walk in his ways. Okay, these are important words for us. Now, when we think about fear, let's talk about that first of all. Uh, I don't think that fear is oftentimes a word that we equate with our faith. Because I think a lot of times we have this idea of fear as being some sort of ghastly or ghoulish fear, right? It's kind of like a horror movie or a Halloween fear. Or maybe for some, when we think about fear, the emotion that wells up within us is um, anxiety or being startled. 
Uh, but what we ultimately see about the type of fear that's spoken of here is this awe, is this, this reverence, this sort of wonder and amazement at God. In fact, if we wanted to really define what it means to fear, we could say this, to fear means to revere. Okay, so to fear means to revere. To fear God means to revere him, to have wonder, to have amazement at him and who he is and what he's done in our lives. And so as I was thinking about this, you know, what, what does it look like to actually revere God, to have awe and adoration towards him? Well, I, I was thinking about a story that a pastor told from Texas a few years back, a guy by the name of Matt Chandler. And he talked about how he took all of the guys, not all the guys, but a lot of the guys in his church on a men's ministry retreat. And they went off site to this farm, this retreat center. And when they arrived, what they realized is that this retreat center had fainting goats. Okay, yeah, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Like 10 years ago, they were all the rage on the internet. Now, what is a fainting goat for those of you who don't know, right? They would show these videos where people would like sneak up behind them and then kind of like clap their hands and the goats would go, Bleh! and they'll like fall over on their side, right? They'd tense up and they'd fall over. And so as they were on this retreat, the, the tour guy was kind of giving them a tour and they get to the main house and then the, the guide in just kind of this deadpan delivery just goes, and whatever you do, please do not startle the goats. And Matt Chandler said that he looked around at all the men in this circle and he's like, we lost them. Because they were just like done for. They were like just glazed over because he could see in their minds what was going on. Now, just a quick aside, let's be honest. We know the truth. Within every grown man, there is a mischievous seventh grade boy. Is there not? Ladies, you can amen that if you want. Because what he began to see is how they were conspiring in their minds how are we going to startle these goats the best, okay? So some of them, you could just see, they're like, oh, we're going to jump in a tree, and then we're going to ha, jump out and get them like that, or I'm going to sneak up behind them and clap, and they're going to fall over my back. You know, it's going to be great. They're like doing March Madness brackets, okay, to figure out who could scare the goats the best. You could clearly see that there was no fear or reverence towards these fainting goats. And rightfully so. Who would, who would have a fear towards fainting goats? But imagine if all of a sudden you dropped a lion in the pen, Okay, what if you did that? You can guarantee that most men, and I say most because I know that there's like one or two of y'all here that would maybe jump in that pen and try to scare the lion. Okay, most men would not get in and try to slap their hands and, and scare and startle a lion because once you're done, you are done for. There's an awe, there's a reverence towards this lion. And, and the reality is that I think a lot of us, we don't have a fear of God. We don't have a fear or a reverence. We, we kind of have a lesser view of who God is. But here's the thing, God is not to be toyed with. Okay, we, we see that Jesus, he is the lion of Judah. And yes, he is a fierce lion, but at the same time, he is a gentle, compassionate, loving lion in our lives. But it begins by us fearing and revering God. And whenever we begin to do that, whenever we have a rightful view of who he is, then we can trust the direction that he is giving to us. And because that pours into this next idea, those who fear the Lord, they'll be happy and they will walk in his ways. So then that idea of what does it mean to walk in God's ways? Well, it has this idea of habitually every single day following the directives of God in our lives. In fact, here at Westwood, we use the phrase GPs, God promptings, that God is going to prompt us to pursue things that are life-giving. And we need to walk in those ways. Earlier this year, Pastor Joel gave us the word of the year, which is the Hebrew word Shema, which has this idea of listening and obeying. It means to walk in the ways that God has directed us. And so if we want to think, first of all, about happiness, it, it, it comes from fearing God and walking in his ways. In fact, we could put it this way. Uh, our first point could be this. If we truly want to pursue happiness, 
It begins by fearing and following God. Okay, it begins by fearing and revering, having wonder and awe and amazement at God and following his directives in our lives. In fact, here at Westwood, our way of life is this. We wanna be and love like Jesus. We wanna live like him. We wanna love like him. We wanna look like him in all aspects of our lives. We wanna follow his model for us as we receive from him. And so when we actually begin to pull back the layers and look at who Jesus really is, as we look to follow him, we realize that we follow a God who serves. He's a servant-hearted God. And so we too are called to serve. Now you might be thinking there and it's like, well, Zach, what connection are you making? There is a direct connection between serving and between happiness. In fact, the University of Utah Health Center had a report that they came out with. Here's what they said in the report. They said, there is a strong link between service, happiness, and health. Giving and receiving compassion can decrease stress and put your life in perspective, which can make you calmer and happier. By being happier, you can in turn commit to better health habits, which lower your chance of illness and increase your physical health over the long haul. And so do you wanna be happy? Serve, right? Do you wanna pursue happiness? It begins by fearing and following God. And that's the call that we have in our lives. So that's our first idea, the theological happiness. And so then we're called to serve. Now you might be asking and thinking to yourself, well, who then do I serve? I'm so glad you asked that question because that leads us into our second and third point relational and geographical places that we can serve. Let's start with the relational idea. Relationally, who can we serve? Let's go back to verse two. It it, it says this in verse two. It says, you will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy, once again, ashray, and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house and your sons like young olive trees around your table. Okay, a couple things that it's calling out here. There are really two places in which happiness and blessing happens within our relational spheres, within our friendships and with our families. And first of all, it talks about this idea that you will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You'll be very happy and it will go well for you. And so I think what the psalmist is driving us towards is he's speaking, first of all, about uh, the, the places that we work and the places that we labor. And so what I ultimately think that the psalmist is doing is he's giving us a clear calling of the places that we spend the majority of our time to see that as an opportunity to bring blessing and to bring happiness and to bring hope into the world all around us. And so what this psalm is getting at, I believe, is an undoing of what we call the curse or the fall in our lives. Now, for those of you who might be new to faith or might be new to studying the Bible or might just be new here in general, um, I just wanna kind of lay before you really quick as an aside, what the Bible really is. The the Bible is one grand narrative. It's one straight narrative, one story with really four key movements. Okay, and those four key movements are this. It goes creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Okay, let's unpack this. Creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, it says that God created, and he created humanity, he created the earth, and it was good. And God gave to Adam and Eve, those who were in the beginning, a a job description. He said, I want you to cultivate and steward the earth. I want you to labor for this earth and it'll be good for you. But then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And then the fall, sin, disobedience entered into the equation. And then from Genesis 4, all the way throughout the rest of the Bible, we see this plan for redemption. Uh, that what we see is that humanity is longing to be made right with God again, that they are trying to be redeemed. And it's in the New Testament where we start to see Jesus stepping into the equation of God's plan of redemption seen through his son, Jesus Christ, that now you and I, because of Jesus, can be redeemed and made right. And then finally, the last few chapters of the book of the Bible in Revelation, it's God restoring 
all things that are broken, he is going to make all things new. But what I want to focus our attention on is really this idea of this calling in Psalm 128 is this undoing of the fall. It's this idea that we have purpose with our relationships. And so going back again to Psalm 128 verse 2, it says this, you will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You can kind of hear it, that idea of laboring and stewarding. Uh, and you will be happy and it will go well for you. Okay, quick pulse. Is this a happy verse? Like absolutely, right? There's a lot of positivity here, right? This is what we're called to do. But you can kind of hear the echoes and the reverberations of Genesis chapter three. Look at what Genesis three says. It says, cursed is the ground because of you. That's what you, whenever you read the Bible, you got to like bring some umph into it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. Happy verse? Not so much, right? You can begin to see all of the difficulty that is exhibited whenever we begin to labor and whenever we begin to work. But what uh, I believe the psalmist is saying is in your relationships, in your place of vocation, in the place that you spend the majority of your time, you're called to bring purpose and meaning with all of those friends that you have around you. And that's what uh, Ben spoke about last week. He used this phrase, uh, sacred work, finding meaning and purpose in our uh, places of, of vocation. And he said, our work is worship. And he combined them together and he used the phrase workship. And so if that's you, if you're sitting there and you're like, man, how do I find greater intentionality in my, my place of employment or work? Go in and listen to Ben's message. And once you're done listening to it, listen to it again, because it's that good, all right? But it's not just in our places of vocation that we're called to have purpose and meaning. It's also talking through in our relationships with our friends and with our families. In fact, in verses three, it uses phrases and words that talk about um, how your wife will be like a fruitful vine and your kids will be like olive trees around the dining room table, okay? And it's kind of like, wow, that's quite vivid imagery that you've got there. But really, if we were to unpack this a little bit, in the biblical times, fertility was a sign of God's blessing upon a family, and so if we were to really kind of pull out, what is the practical implication of these verses? I think that we could ultimately say this, that God wants to bless the families of the earth through families. And so think about that. God wants to bless the world around you through your family. Now I get it though, because some of us are sitting there like, I'm journeying through the inability to have a family. Others of you are like, my family's great. Like we showed up to worship. We're here on time. The kids are dressed. All right. And then there's the rest of us, <laughs> Right. And it's just like, man, how, how is God going to bless my family to be a blessing to others? Here's the reality. We all have a role to play. And maybe for some, the blessing to the family is you. All right, we all have an ability and an opportunity to bless those in our, our, our familial spheres, our relational spheres. You see, that's why we as a church, we want to help integrate, bring faith at home. Because we realize sometimes the greatest influences aren't the pastors, but they're the parents. They're the grandparents, they're the aunts, the uncles, the mentors, the coaches. And so we want to do everything we can to allow you and your family to foster spiritual conversations at home so that you can see faith at home. You can see God's blessing and God's provision in your family. In fact, I was reminded of this about two weeks ago within our own family. It was a Monday morning, okay? And most of you know, we're like, this isn't going to start off well, is it, Zach? Because it's Monday morning. And I woke up that day and it was just like anything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Okay. I was just having one of those days. It was just kind of a rough start. And uh, I went downstairs. And as soon as I got downstairs, I heard right behind me, the little pitter patter of footsteps coming uh, down the stairs. And uh, my five-year-old son just kind of walked up to me in all boldness was like, Hey dad, can I watch some TV? And I'm like, dude, it is 6 a.m. No way are you going to watch TV. It's too early. 
you know, I was just kind of like a little bit like on edge. I was kind of annoyed. I, I just really wanted him to preoccupy himself while I kind of went through my morning routines. And so he went and he pulled out one of his craft toys and he began to kind of work on it. And he did exactly what I wanted him to do. Um, but he, he grabbed a, a screw that was too long and he began to screw into this toy until he didn't realize it, but it actually punctured through the side of his toy and drilled into our dining room table, leaving scratches. And so when I came upstairs, I, I saw what had happened and I like scooped it up. I was like, man, are you kidding me? Like what, you know, I kind of like snapped at him a little bit. I was like, what, what were you thinking, man? What's going on? And then he was a little bit sheepish and he goes, dad, can, can I watch something now? <laughs> Like, no, like, what, what's going on? And, and I, I snapped at him in that moment. I was like, you can't do that, Craig, because you just ruined the table. And, and I knew as soon as the words came out of my mouth that, that I had absolutely blown it. Because he turned around and jumped up from the chair and he ran upstairs and he pretended to go back asleep. Now, here's the reality. When, when homeboy is up at six, there's no way he's going back to bed. But I felt that conviction kick in. And I went through my morning, I got ready, and before I left for work, I, I went in and I, I sat on his bed and uh, I knew that I had really kind of hurt him because he was sitting there pretending to sleep and then he was snoring, all right, he was fake snoring. I'm like, homeboy, you're five, I know you don't snore, okay? But I kind of reached over and I said, Craig, can I talk to you real quick? And he sat up and I just said, Craig, you know how a lot of times we ask for Jesus to forgive us? You know how whenever maybe we upset people, we ask people to forgive us as well? He said, yeah. I said, well, see, son, the reality is daddy doesn't always get it right. In fact, daddy doesn't get it right a lot of times. And so daddy needs that same forgiveness from Jesus. And I need that same forgiveness from you. And I realized that it's in that moment that one of the greatest gifts, one of the greatest ways that we can bring faith at home is through simply put modeling the gospel to our kids, to our grandkids, to the kids in our neighborhood, whatever that might look like. And so we could ultimately say these words. Happiness comes to friends and family when we model the gospel in our life. You know, this, this, is, this is my hope that someday, uh, hopefully in a, a long ways off, at, at my funeral, if my kids get up to speak, I hope and pray that they get up and they say, you know what, dad wasn't perfect. He was far from it, but man, he knew Jesus. He loved Jesus. He knew that Jesus loved him and he modeled the gospel and grace in his life. That's my hope and my prayer. And so for each and every one of us, what does it mean to model the gospel? It, it means to, to gain grace and to give grace. It means to gain forgiveness and give forgiveness. It means to gain happiness and give happiness to those all around us. And you, you know, Sometimes the hardest person to give forgiveness to or to even ask forgiveness to are those people who are in our family, those people who are so close to us. And yet God is going to reconcile. He's going to breathe something new into those family relationships whenever we model the gospel in our life, because he's the only one that can change and transform family unions. He is the only one that can do that. And so happiness comes to our relationships, to our friends and to our families when we model the gospel. But now the next part is geographically, okay? How can we find geographical happiness after we fear the Lord? Well, we go back to the text. Once again, we find life from the text. We look at uh, Psalm 128 verses four and six. It says this, in this very way, uh, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. Once again, talking about fearing and revering the Lord will be blessed, they'll be happy. Then it says this, may the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life and will see your children's children Peace be with Israel. 
Okay, what I love about this is it's not just a happiness that's here and now, but as you can see, you will see. So it's this futuristic happiness as well. You will see your children's children. It's a happiness that will start and will continue along into the future, that God is a God of big visions. Is he not? He's got a vision for happiness in your life. And then he starts to use geographical places here. He says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. May uh, you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May peace be with Israel. And so there is a calling that we have to bring happiness to our community, to our cities, to our state, to our nation, that we get to be the church for whatever it is that is right before us. And so if we wanted to put words around this point, we could ultimately say these words. Happiness comes when we seek the good of our immediate community. Okay, happiness comes when we seek the good of our immediate community, when we seek the blessing, when we seek the goodness of those all around us. And so as I was thinking through this a little bit more, I, I was reminded of a quote that I heard a few years back. I had a chance to go to a, a fundraising event and the keynote speaker there just shared this quote that's always kind of like sat in my heart and it's really just kind of reverberated around. And what they ultimately said are these words, our mission field is the ground between our two feet. Like think about that for a moment. Your mission field is the ground between your two feet. All right, it's your neighborhood. It's your apartment complex. It's the retirement home. It's where you spend the most time of your life. It's understanding that, yes, we're called to go overseas, but a lot of times we're also called right here to make an impact on those all around us. Your mission field is the ground between your two feet. And I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago. We had a couple over at our Bush Lake campus that felt this prompting and this stirring to do just this, to live on mission right in their apartment complex. So in Edina, they rented out the kind of the commons room, kind of that hospitality room. And they sent out some invitations to a lot of their neighbors and they scooped up some of these Psalm uh, uh, companion guides and then they just turned on the worship service and there was musical worship and there was a message and they said that people began to come in and began to hear this message of hope. Uh, they began to be swept up in the musical worship and then other couples from Bushlake joined them. They lived on mission right where they were at and they realized this, that there were some people there who would never darken the door of a church, but they'd go down to the community room in their apartment. And so that's why we as a church, why we feel called to go on mission. Uh, that's why we plant campuses in Bloomington and Edina over at Bush Lake. That's why we've done campuses in Mound, West Tonka with Westwood, West Tonka. That's why with our online campus, we're finding ways to expand our digital reach, knowing that God's hope is not restricted to physical barriers, but God's hope goes to so many people. That's why we're doing things such as uh, the backpack collection drive for families in our communities. That's what we do as a church. And so for you, what it might look like is something so simple going on a prayer walk for those in your neighborhood. Maybe it even means opening up and having a neighborhood-based small group. Uh, you know, my wife did that this summer and she invited all the neighbors in and it's just been amazing to watch how they are hungry for relationships and just the conversations that they had. I'm a part of one with some of the other guys in my neighborhood and it's been amazing to learn more about God with other men right there in my own geographical sphere. And so realize this, that God has placed you in a particular place to make a particular impact with those living around you. Happiness comes when we seek the good of our immediate community. Happiness comes when we serve. And you see, friends, we don't just kind of pluck this idea out of thin air, but we ultimately get this idea from our Savior, from Jesus Christ. And that's why we come to the table today to celebrate communion, this bread and this cup. In fact, I'm reminded of John 1. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I love what Eugene Peterson said in his paraphrase. He said, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I mean, wow. 
Oh, what a calling that we can have to fear and follow God. And so I just invite you in this time, let's not rush through these elements, but may we hold this bread and this cup and may our hearts and our minds begin to stir up to have a fear, to have an awe, to have a reverence towards our Savior, who he is and what it is that he's done. May we reflect on the places that might be out of alignment. May we have a listening ear to him, to his promptings in our life. And may we walk in those ways to receive goodness and happiness from him and to give happiness to those all around us. Would you please stand with me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus. As we just heard about the word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, that Jesus, you stepped out of your home in heaven to step into the temporary earth to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring flourishing and wholeness, to bring happiness to those around us, that we can gain happiness and we can give happiness. And so, Lord, I just ask that as we hold these elements in our hands, this bread and this cup, uh, that we will do so in such a way that is honoring and glorifying to you. Form us through these elements to be and love like Jesus. And Lord, even now, I pray that you will place someone, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, place someone in our lives that we can extend that goodness and that happiness, your grace to. May we model the gospel in our lives. May we love because you first loved us. And so be praised and be honored. All for your glory and our good. We pray this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, 